Welcome to the Community Church Podcast, your place to belong. Thanks for taking the time to tune into this week's message. I hope that it blesses and encourages you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 is where we're going to go in a few moments here. But, um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but how many here love unexpected moments? Especially when you've planned everything, right? Like, how many are planners? Who's a planner here? Oh, okay, how angry do you get internally or maybe externally when things don't go as you plan, right? Like, does it, do you lose your, like, do you lose it? You're like, ah, you know? Like, does that mini hulk come out of you when, you know, you know? Because some people are, like, so, like, okay, it's got to be, like, like clockwork type of thing, and everything's got to get down to a T, and then some of us have a little more flexibility, and, and then some of us, you, you're just looking at me going, what's planning? Like, you know, what is that all about, you know? Like, let's just, let's just live life, you know, kind of a thing, right? Well, I mentioned last week that we bought, uh, when we were in Simcoe, we had bought a, an above-ground pool, um, a used above-ground pool, and so we had to go through the process of getting it and bringing it to the house, and we, our backyard had a bit of a slope, and, and so I had one or two choices. Either I can dig into the ground and, and, and make it really hard surface, or some guys are suggesting, you know, get some ground, bring it in, and then level it up. And I'm like, no, nah, I'd rather be more on the safe side of digging into the hard ground and making a, you know, because part of it would be in the actual, you know, probably about, actually it was probably almost 10 and a half to 12 inches of by the time you get that level, right? And, uh, and, and so I just, because I didn't want to have a deep end unintentionally, you know what I mean, in my pool, right? So, so anyways, I, I, I get there, and I'm, I'm looking at the circle, and the pool is only like, I don't know, 12 foot, it was a 12-foot pool or 15-foot, somewhere in there, like it was, just wasn't big, and so I didn't think the circle had to be dug that big. It was no big deal, right? So I got a neighbor who lived down the street who went to the church, and I'm like, dude, can you come over with me on a Friday afternoon, because, you know, he... Uh, you know, he wasn't a pastor, so he worked more than one day a week, but, um, (laughs) I knew you were going there anyway, so I just jumped ahead, uh, but he owned his own business, worked from home, and so he had some flexibility in his schedule, and so I said, hey, dude, can you come over and help me? I got to dig part of the ground out so that it's level, and, uh, and so he showed up, I had two shovels, and I'm thinking it's no big deal, like, you know, 15-foot circle, two shovels, you know, it's not a big deal. And then the guy who's helping me put the, the pool down comes by just to confirm how far we need to dig and all that kind of stuff. And he's looking at us and he goes, are you guys it? And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Me alone is enough. He's just here to, you know, so that I make him feel good. You know what I mean? Like, and he's like, no, Craig, you don't understand. Like, 11 inches in the space, like, you guys are going to be here for days digging this thing. Like, like, this is hard ground. We had a lot of clay in the backyard, so it's like, it's not like you're just digging into some soft ground. Like, you're digging, like, you know? And, uh, and of course, you know, back in those days, you know, I, I looked like a really long-term pastor who was severely overweight, and he was going, I would have an ambulance outside in the parking lot, Craig, like, you know? And I'm like, well, dude, what am I supposed to do? I've got, like, this is all I have. I have no other plans. And he's like, dude, this is going to take a while. And then all of a sudden, he looks at me, he goes, but I've got a solution for you. And I'm like, great. 
you know, what's that solution? He goes, well, there's a guy in our church that has a small little Kubota, and, you know, he can come in. He used to do landscaping for, uh, you know, for his career, and he's retired now, but he still kept on, you know, his equipment, and he still has a bit of a farm, and he goes, I've driven it, and it's just wide enough to get through the side of your, you know, the side laneway of your house, and, dude, he can come in here and just literally, like, within minutes, just dig up everything and make it smooth and level it out, and, uh, and so he called John, and John's like, yeah, absolutely, come by and get it. So we got it, brought it over, and actually John came over and did it himself, and he leveled it within, like, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes. Like, he had this thing pristine. Like, it was perfect while I stood by with a cold drink and watched him doing it, right? Like, you know, like, you know, in a lawn chair. Can you see that, right? Like, most of you can. But anyway, so, uh, but anyway, so, and John did that, and what, a, what an incredible relief it was that in an unexpected moment, when I was facing something that was bigger than what I thought I was equipped for, right? Like I had plans, and, and life is like that. We all have plans, and, and we're living life, and we see faith a certain way. And, and the, the tricky thing about faith is that every once in a while, you know, we'll encounter something that is bigger than what we think our faith can handle. And, and it comes out of that unexpected, and we talked about that. We talked about that a lot over the last number of weeks about the unexpected happening and, and how the enemy sometimes will have targeted attacks, which we'll talk about today. But there are times where the enemy will just use life to dig at you and to try to throw you off of your faith journey to get you to abandon God, to walk away from God when, when God's doing the opposite. He wants to use you and, and move through you and he wants to show you his power through your moment of weakness or your moment of struggle, whatever you're facing. And, and it's a relief to know that in that moment with the pool that I had another resource. And, and again, here Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 starts to talk about the armor of God and the resources that God has placed inside of your life that will enable you to stand your ground when the enemy attacks. Or the moments that require this, you know, to step out in faith and to believe for something that maybe you're not, you know, used to stepping out and believing for. Or it's outside your comfort zone. And, and then he goes on in verse uh, 16. He says, in addition to all of this, he talked about peace and, you know, different things like that. Truth and righteousness, living out righteousness. But, but he goes on to say, in addition to all this, meaning, listen, that's not where it ends. God has given you even more to stand your ground. And he says... Listen, when the enemy comes, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith. Faith here is this, this term, or this word here. It's not just belief, but it's action. It's, it, you know, the, the word is expressed in the way of an action. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like love. Love is really a verb, right? It's an action. You can't just say it. You actually have to act it out. That's how it is. The same thing here with faith. It's not just a belief. We'll get to that in a second. But really, this is an action. So he says, take up the shield of faith, meaning use faith, which can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. What Paul was referring to, and again, imagery is so important when he's writing these letters, is that they would have, again, thought of and seen the, you know, the Roman army, a Roman guard, and, and they would know that you know, a shield is pretty big. Right? Like a shield wasn't a small little thing. You know, it was like, it was four feet tall, about two and a half feet wide. It was curved a little bit. Man, it was built with like layers and layers of leather hides. Like they just, it was thick and it had metal that went around it to keep it all in place. And so enough that a man could hide behind that entire shield. 
In, in fact, one of the things, and I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show called Vikings, but when the Vikings would fight, they, you know, when they, they would actually surround each other, and the way that they would, they would layer their shields so that it would create like a complete dome of protection. You know, the, the, the Romans would do something very similar. They would get side by side, and they would, they would put their shields together, and they would overlap so that nothing can get through. Because one of the most popular weapons that was used in their day was, you know, fiery arrows. In fact, not just fiery arrows, but they would use arrows that would have, you know, some kind of tar, you know, to the end of the tip. They would light it, so now it's got something flammable. But when it would hit a shield, the whole intention is that the, the tar would actually spread. And it would hit other people or other, you know, people that are standing, other soldiers beside you so that that one weapon can actually not only hit you and target you, but it can hit others that are around you. And the idea with the fire and everything else, just the visual, the, the hope of the enemy, you know, against the Roman army would be that when we shoot these arrows, you see it coming, that there would be a tendency or a, even a split second thought that you would drop your shield and you would run and make you even more vulnerable even though you think you're saving yourself from an arrow and i can't say this enough we've all kind of you know this journey i think we've all recognized and understand that there are moments where the enemy like i said will use situations that are happening in life and will dig at it and, you know, give you a sense of doubt or worry or anxiety. But then there are times where the enemy is out to get you to drop your shields. The enemy is out to get you to drop your faith, to abandon God in the moment that you need him the most. When you're facing something that is bigger than you, that you just don't think you've got the strength. And Paul reminds us, no, you do. That even when the enemy brings targeted attacks that is meant to get you to abandon God and even impact others that are around you... Paul says, listen, instead of being defensive and running, he says, stand your ground and raise faith. Not just the shield of faith, but raise your faith. Then in the moments that the enemy would come and, and those situations where he, he, you know, he would want to challenge your utter dependence on God, those moments where he would challenge your beliefs or those moments that, that you're facing where no doubt you have no other choice but you've got to take that avenue of I've got to believe God for this today. Those moments that you're choosing to trust in his promises, trust in his presence, trust in his power every single moment. The, the kind of faith, you know what he's talking about here? The kind of faith that he's talking about here is the kind of faith that anticipates God's intervention in your scenario. Anticipates. It's like I'm expecting God to do something. I'm not worried that God's not going to do anything. I know God's going to do something. I may not know exactly what that is, and it may not be as I've been praying it, but I know and I'm certain, I'm confident there's something inside of me that says God is going to be there for me. In those moments where the enemy would come and try to mess with you, to break you, to get you to abandon God, Paul says, I want you to raise that active faith, that assured, confident, determined, unwavering belief in him that believes in his promises, that, like I said, anticipates his intervention, that's confident that he will come, that he will strengthen, that he loves me, that he saves me, that he has come to set me free. But you'll never know that you have that kind of faith until you choose in those moments to assert 
that faith. See, for me, active faith is assertive faith. It's the faith that that we choose to make known, that chooses to step out. It chooses to believe and to hold on to what we know. And, And according to Paul, when we do that, it renders the attack of the enemy. When I when I said this on Thursday night, I'll say it again. What is meant and intended to be actually a defensive weapon in the way of a shield, God actually wants you to use it as your offense. That in the moment that the enemy wants to target you is the moment that you step. And and you're not just standing your ground. You're taking a step of faith. In the moment where the enemy wants you to back down, you're stepping forward. Do you catch that today? And when you do it, Paul gives this clear Cut. Hey, listen, when you step out in faith, you're actually rendering this, you know, this idea of the arrows being extinguished. It's this idea of something being rendered useless. It's this idea of stifling the attack of the enemy. It's like frustrating the enemy because the enemy just wants to scare you into it when God's just going, but listen, I've given you tools and you don't need to back down, which I'm going to show you in a second in Daniel chapter 3, how God responds to assertive faith. Because the reality is, is that when we assert our faith, we keep not only, de- we're not only going on the offensive, but we're actually keeping it from spreading and doing more damage to others around us. So our faith and my call today is that we would have active faith, assertive faith. Daniel chapter 3 is probably one of the best examples of assertive faith. Talk about a targeting attack, targeted attack. Now, if you don't know the story, the story is about three friends of Daniel. We learn in the book of Daniel that they travel with him. They were influential leaders, young men, and so this is exile. And so in exile, you know, the, the Babylonians would take uh, a few of them. Daniel was one of them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were a few others where, you know, they would put them in places of influence and leadership. And, and we know from Daniel chapter 1 there was a bit of a challenge between Daniel and, uh, and the boys versus, you know, the kings of, uh, of uh, the king of Babylon, and, and he wanted them to eat a certain way and do a certain thing, and Daniel says, no, no, that's not how I'm going to do it, and so he chooses to do the opposite according to God's word, and because of that, he became even greater in the, in the eyes of King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, at this point, they are um, political leaders, strong influencers in a certain province of the kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who was really a nasty king, and you're going to see that in this passage. And I'm just going to, some of the scriptures are up here, and I'll highlight a few of them today, but I'm just going to retell the story really quickly just for the sake of time. But the story goes like this, that King Nebuchadnezzar at the very beginning of Daniel chapter 3 decides that he is going to build a, a, a statue, a gold statue of his God. And it was 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide. I mean, it's massive. You can't miss this. I mean, you, you can see this. It's like, it's like seeing it, you know, the CN Tower from, you know, as you go into Highway 5 going into Burlington. You can, like, it's just massive. You can see this. And he, he made this the decree. He brought all of the leaders around him. And, and, and he said, listen, just to make this very clear, here's what's going to happen. When you hear the music play, everybody, regardless of language, backgrounds, gods, everybody must bow down to this statue. And basically what he was saying was, as you bow down to that God, you're bowing down to me because I'm that God's representative here on earth. 
And so, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't know if they missed the meeting. I don't know if they didn't get the memo. Uh, but we know actually from Scripture that's not true. They just made a decision right from the get-go. We're not bowing down to any other gods. Why? Because they are, they're, you know, they're Israelites, they're Jews, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And so they held on to that. And so, you know, when the music played, they didn't bow down. And so there are these nobles, uh, Chaldean nobles, actually, and they, this specific group of leaders, um, they thought they were, they, were, they, were master, they were the master race. And so they thought they were above everybody, and they absolutely hated the Israelites. I mean, they just, anything and everything to get them into trouble, that's what they wanted to do. And so they found out that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down to, you know, this God. And so they went to the king and said, king, like, you gave this decree. They started playing on his pride, right? You gave this decree, and, and you said that if, if people don't bow down, and I didn't say this at the beginning, but, but the result of bow, not bowing down was you get thrown into this fiery furnace, which the fiery furnace would have made the two- or three-week hot spell that we had here feel like winter. You know what I mean? Like, like it was intense heat, to say the least. And so they're like, King, you said that if nobody, if somebody doesn't bow down, they get thrown in immediately, right? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, we got a story to tell you. There's these three guys that are supposed to be leaders of yours. And if they're leaders, I mean, and they're not bowing down, then you know that, it, and they start playing on his pride. You know that, that others are not going to do it and follow suit. And you might even have a, you know, I'm kind of broadening the story a little bit here, but I'm sure this is part of the gist, like, because that's how it works. You know, if a leader's not doing something, it's like your kid, right? If you don't do something, then your kid takes advantage in that moment and says, well, I'm not doing it either, right? And so, you know, there's this moment, they're like, King, if you're not doing, there could be a revolution, man, like something against you and whatever. And so, so King Nebuchadnezzar gets furious, like he gets angry and he's like, get those guys in here. So he brings in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he's like, did you guys not bow down when the music got played? Like, is it, are you waiting for a certain song or, you know, what's your deal? It's not your jam. I like, I, you know, like, you know, were you hidden somewhere and you just didn't hear it? Like, and, and they're going, no, no. And he goes, well, listen, next time it plays and you don't bow down, you're going into the fiery furnace. And verse 16 to 18 shows their response. And, and actually, let me pause for a second because verse 15 says this. If I throw you in the fiery furnace, what God is going to rescue you? We'll come back to that in a second. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. It's almost like they looked at him and said, Oh, you poor child. <laughs> really? Really? We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, meaning we don't, we, don't answer, we don't have to give an answer of why we didn't. We don't owe you anything. Just imagine telling your boss, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> Some of you have, and, you know, and I, maybe you're either enjoying looking for another job or, you know, like, we don't have to answer to you, which I'll get back to in a second. But if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from it, and he will. I want you to highlight that. He will rescue us 
from your hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know. Do you want to see how, listen, you want to know if you really have deep faith? Is that in the moments that you don't see the answers that you want to see, you still trust God. No, legit. You know, over the years, and I and I, you know, I've shared this with, and I'm 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 looking at the partridges now because we've had just little small conversations here and there. Didn't change how we were praying, but I just said to them, I said, listen, I just trust God no matter what. And over the years, the reason why I don't get rattled when things don't go the way that I want them, it doesn't mean that I don't pray that way. I keep stepping up to the plate to pray the prayer of faith because that's what the word of God tells me to pray. So I don't, listen, the rest of it, that's up to God. My job is just to pray the prayer of faith. That's my responsibility. My responsibility is to believe. But listen, in the same manner that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said it, I'll say it the same thing. Listen, even if he doesn't, and I know someone's going, but you can't say that because it lacks faith. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said it. God's got big shoulders. He can handle the humanity that we confess at times. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want us to rise up to the challenge either. And so they're looking at it going, listen, here's the deal. We know that no matter what happens, we're not bowing down to your God. We're not bowing down to the image of gold that you placed in front of us. We're not serving your gods because at the end of the day, the truth of God, who he is, is a conviction inside of our hearts. There's a confidence and assurance that come from that. And I'm not bowing down to anything that you throw my way. I'm not bowing down to the trial. I'm not bowing down to the pressure. I'm not bowing down to the attack. And somebody inside this room needs to hear that. Stop bowing down to the threats of the enemy because you don't need to bow down to the enemy. You need to continue to bow down to God and God only. And the faith, assertive faith, because the arrow got shot. The arrow that was shot was targeting them. And instead of cowering and abandoning their position, they put out faith. I'm going to choose in this moment to trust God. And do you know what King Nebuchadnezzar's response was? Okay, guys. No, that's not true. The scripture says that he got so angry and so furious, even more furious than before, that without even blinking, he says, turn it up seven more times and take these guys, bind them right now, and throw them in the pit. No second chance. Let's go. Turn it up. That is the enemy's, uh, that is the enemy's tactic Every single time you and I choose to step up in faith, he turns up the heat. And that is where most of us abandon. Because we think that the heat that just got turned up all of a sudden renders God powerless. The problem with that is it does not. And it doesn't. Because the moment that they threw, in fact, listen, this is how hot this was. 
Here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bound, thrown in. And as these soldiers are throwing them in, those soldiers died at the edge of the flame. It was that hot. Then all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and looks with amazement, and he says to his nobles, hey, guys, didn't we just throw three guys inside of that fire? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. It was just, it was just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he goes, well, then why am I seeing four? And not only am I seeing four, why am I seeing all of them completely unbound? We tied them. We bound them. And he couldn't believe that they were free. And the story goes on that he goes to the edge and he calls them out. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out. And when they came out, listen to me, not only were they unbound. Listen, you want a, you want a story that's going to stir your faith? You need to read the entire chapter of Daniel chapter 3. Read it. Meditate on it. Absorb it. Understand that the same God that was in existence in Daniel chapter 3 is the same God today inside of your life. And so when they came out, not only were they unbound, but their clothes were not singed. Not only were their clothes not singed, not even their hair on their head or the lack thereof was burned. They didn't even smell like smoke. Have you ever sat by a campfire? Yeah. Right? Like I know that all week, man, you know, I don't even need deodorant all this week camping, man. I'll just run off the whole fumes of campfire because who doesn't like a campfire smile, Jeff? Right? Everybody loves campfires. Right? Except for if you're like my wife who's like, oh, but now I got to wash my hair and then I got to straighten my hair. And see, she's laughing. She knows what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> I'm so going to get in trouble for that one, you know. How many ladies, just so she knows she's not alone, how many other ladies think about that when you go up to a campfire, right? Your first thought is, I love the campfire, but I know I've got to do my hair afterwards, you know, kind of a thing, right? How's that even possible? Can I, can I just stop there for a second and give you two thoughts really quickly before I finish the story? Go back to verse 16 to 18 and listen to what their first response was. We don't need to defend ourselves to you. Do you know what they were saying? Hey, king, with all due respect, you are not the authority over my life. And I don't have to defend anything that I do or I don't do. You're just another person. You know, one of the tactics of the enemy, especially when he's targeting, he tries to make you believe that he actually has authority and power over your life. Guess what? The cross and the resurrection made sure that was not going to happen. Amen. There is absolutely, can I just say this? And look, I know, because some of us are going, okay, but Pastor Craig, if you say it, the enemy might turn it up seven more times. He might turn up the heat. Yeah, he will. But it doesn't matter how much he turns things up. God shows up every time he turns things up. 
And the truth of the matter is, is that you are under absolutely no other authority except for the authority of God, the authority of Christ, and the authority that he's actually placed on your life as a follower of Jesus. And honestly, not suggesting to you that the enemy doesn't have power, like that would be silly. You never underestimate your enemy. He, he absolutely meddles in things. He comes as the angel of light. Just a reminder for those who have been part of this journey for the last number of weeks. Absolutely. He's a deceiver. But just remember, he's already lost. He's just grasping. He's just scraping. He's just trying to knock you off. He's trying to threaten you so that you would literally just drop your shield. Don't choose faith in this moment. Because, man, you know that, man, if I choose faith right now, it, there's a good chance the enemy's going to turn up the pressure. He's going to go after him even harder. And you need to understand something. You don't, not only do you not need to succumb to the authority of the enemy because he has no authority over your life, you need to understand that when you take steps of faith, you provoke God to move. You are never in the fire alone. There's a great song that just came out by Hillsong United called Another in the Fire. Wow. Do you realize that, that when you take a step of faith, what you're actually doing is you're putting God in the fire with you? Because you're choosing him. And he chooses you. And we all know this from scripture. That it's faith that, that allows us to actually please God. There's something about faith that stirs God to movement where he goes, man, I love that. Man, I love when I see, you know, my, my kids, my children responding to the, to the authority or the word that I've placed inside their lives that are, are choosing to rely on me in utter dependence. And they're walking with, even though they don't know what's going to happen, they're not certain that they, they just know that, that I'm going to show up and I have to respond to that. It's kind of like my rule of thumb when I was, my dad's rule of thumb when we were teenagers or young adults and we were going to school. And my dad used to always say to me, listen to me. If you make the effort, I'll make sure that you get the provision that you need to do what needs to be done if you fall short, like for school and stuff like that. So when Madison went to Manitoulin this summer, shh, don't tell her, maybe I'll take this part out of the podcast so she doesn't know this until later on, but, but she has worked really hard this summer and she's been putting money aside. She's been actually just paying things off like crazy and you know, part of it is because she lives in Manitoulin and, you know, outside of coffee and, a, and the odd meal at a mom and pop shop, you're not spending money. You're not going to the movies, that's for sure. There's no Tim Hortons, trust me, man. Like, you know. And we got talking and we, you know, Madison knows just a somewhat of a projection of what she might get through OSAP and, of course, what she has in a, a student line of credit that we opened up and whatever. And I looked at Cora and we were talking about how she's just been putting money aside. Can I brag on my kid a little bit for a second? And I've told Madison the same thing my dad's always said to me. You work hard, I'll reward your efforts. I just want to see that you work hard. Save well, all that kind of stuff. And I said to Cora, I said, you know, here's the thing. We have to honor her for being faithful to what we said. Because otherwise, our word is no good. 
We said that if you work hard, if you fall short, we'll make sure you have what you need. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's the same with God. That when you and I, in our case, it's not about working hard as much as it's just about having faith and trusting in him and walking in relationship with him. And when you do that, it provokes him and stirs him to rise up. And he not only just begins to give you words, but he actually gets in the fight with you. And now you're in the midst of your fire. You're in the midst of the most difficult situation, but you're not alone. And you know that God's with you and something stirs up inside of you. And you notice that the guys didn't run out of the fiery pit. They waited until someone, uh, you know, until the king said, hey, listen, you guys come out. They didn't rush out of there because they didn't have to rush out of there. I don't need to rush out of this situation. I don't have to worry about the situation because I'm not alone. And listen, not only are you not alone, here's what's really cool about this story is that when the, when, now a lot of people argue that this is just an angel of the Lord. Some believe that this is the pre-incarnate Christ, that Jesus actually stepped into the fire with them. Either way, whatever you fall, the truth is God responded and God was in the middle of it and he was right there and not only is he in the middle of it, notice what he did, he protected them. They walked out of there completely unharmed when they should have been. That is a promise of God. You will walk out of, I believe this, and some of you are going, Pastor Craig, man, is this kind of borderline word faith? Well, maybe it is, to be quite honest with you. And the only reason why, and I don't necessarily succumb to that, but i got to be honest with you. I think in the church today, we are so afraid to take steps out of faith because we're afraid about being labeled. And the truth is, we are missing out on miracles. We are missing out on things changing and atmosphere, which we'll get to in a second, because we're so afraid afraid of stepping out in faith that we're going to be disappointed you don't need to be disappointed you won't be disappointed because you're not relying on you you're not relying on your own ability you're relying on a God who can do immeasurably more that there's nothing impossible everything in him is made possible that all of his promises are yes and amen I'm just a little words up this morning I don't know if it's because I'm going on vacation and just get this in and let's go. <laughs> Maybe a little bit there. Come on. Come on, because listen, if he's not a God of his word, how can you trust in that? But he is, and he always will be. And when we take the kind of depth Faith step that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, listen, even if he doesn't answer us, we're still not bowing down. Man, that had to make God just have shivers going, ooh, that feels good. I like that, you know? It's kind of like the Lion King, right, you know, because we went and saw the, but I still like the cartoon, you know, when the hyenas are like, you know, say Mufasa, ooh, say it again, Mufasa. You know, it's like Jesus, Ooh, say that again, Jesus, you know, like <sighs> now every time you see that movie, that's what you're going to be thinking about. It's good, man. <laughs> of course, going, I am not married to that man. I'm telling you right now, I don't know who that guy is. Man, somebody needs to hear that this morning, though. You need to say the name of Jesus over your situation. But here's the second thing that came out of that. 
he unbound them, meaning he undid what was done. He can and he will undo what the enemy has done. Tried to bind you, he releases you. Tries to keep you down, he sets you free. In your situation, in your circumstance, boy, man, what would happen to the kingdom? What would happen to Flamborough? What would happen to this church? What would happen to Waterdown if we started believing what actually the word of God says and take steps of faith towards it? It's a good thought that you want. Because here's the other thing that happens when we assert faith. Not only does it move God, not only does it shift things, but here's one of the things that shifts. The atmosphere changes. And at the tail ends of this passage of scripture, and I don't know if it's verse 25 or verse 28, I think it might be up on the screen. After King Nebuchadnezzar calls them out, he says this. Just remember, he just created a statue in the image of his God. And he goes, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, and they defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. King Nebuchadnezzar was blown out of the water. Can I just tell you that when you and I take steps of faith and others are watching it and they see God move, it causes them to bring worship to God. They're like, man, I, I, dude, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how that happened. Like, that's just crazy. I am just moved by this. I am challenged by this. Uh, man, dude, I, I want to check out your church. I want to check out, man, can we talk more about God? All of those conversations start to trigger. Because now what's talked about is experienced and seen in reality. But here's the other thing. And that, to be honest with you, is enough. But here's a byproduct the last passage, uh, the last verse in this chapter talks about how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were actually given more responsibility than they had before and even more influence. And they were even protected by King Nebuchadnezzar because he said, he goes, from now on, nobody can say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm going to ask Lyndon and Hillary to come back because uh, I want to pray before we leave today for some things that break and shake today. I think there's some people in this room that need to assert some faith in their situation. But you know, I think it was Wednesday I was sitting at my desk and I was looking over my notes. I had a conversation with someone that day and they didn't know that I was, this was the, the next message. And I started sharing some stuff here and there. And, and I know they've been going through a journey that man, they just need to see God break through. And they've been faithful like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. 
and um, and it hasn't come yet. And that's kind of what I would sit on yet. And you know who you are, and you need to hear that right now yet. You know, that's one of the struggles about faith is that it requires patience, endurance, persistence. It's just part of the, the journey. But man, listen, as, you're, as you step out in faith, you begin to grow in your faith. Like, I, I really mean that. Like, you can't build up in faith unless you put the work in. Right? You, you, can't, you can't know whether or not your faith is strong unless you face something that's more challenging than what you've faced before. Like, that's just, that comes to the territory. You also don't get to see a revelation of the power of God unless you're willing to put yourself in a position where you have no other choice but to rely on God, you know? And it can be scary. We don't see that necessarily from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but, but there's a part of me that wonders that in a moment if one of them just kind of look at the other and go, oh my, dude, what are we doing? Like... But God mattered more to them. In fact, God mattered so much to them that it wasn't even about the answer to prayer. It was just about, I love God, my devotion for God. That's deep, deep faith. But that kind of faith is the kind of faith that will step out. And when the enemy brings the targeted attack, he goes, no. I'm not going to cower, but I'm going to go on the offensive and I'm going to take a step. You don't just raise a shield. You step with a shield. Secure ground. Here we go. Later on that day, as I was looking over my notes and and refreshing my heart, just tweaking things and adding things and whatever that I normally do, all of a sudden the Lord reminded me of Matthew chapter 25. Part of it is because someone had sent me that scripture just a, a few days prior, so it was kind of still fresh in my head, but for a completely different reason than what I'm sharing here today. But Matthew chapter 20, 25 tells the story of some faithful servants that were each given, you know, some money, some, some resource that belonged, didn't belong to them, it belonged to their master. And he said, listen, I'm going to give it to you, and the expectation is while I'm gone that you would use it and that you would multiply it. And so two of the three servants did. They risked what they've been given in order to have more. And those two, he's like, man, when when the owner came back, he's like, man, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the little that I've given you. And because of that, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to open the door for you, opportunity, influence. I'm going to provide whatever. I'm going to give you more because you were faithful in the little. And to the one that didn't because he was so afraid of risking that he buried it and it made no interest, nothing. He even said that. He goes, man, why don't you just put it in like a bank and get some interest for me? At least that. And he called him a wicked servant. I don't know about you, Tom, but I don't want to hear that, bro. I don't, like, that's not me. You know what God put on my heart? He's like, listen, if you want to see the much 
or the more at community church or in your life, you got to be willing to take what I've poured into your life and risk it for the glory of God to step out in faith. And when you are faithful in the little things, when you're faithful, when we're faithful with the ministry here, you know, because I know over the years I've heard people talk about, you know, the vision about getting a building. Listen, let me just tell you something. When we start functioning like the church should function, when we start moving in faith like God called us to, all of those details, it doesn't mean that our eye isn't on the practical. We are. We're just moving little pieces here and there just to see what's available, what's going on. We're doing it. I know it's slow. But listen, that's because we've got room to grow. We've got a community that still needs to know Jesus, building or not. And I'm not giving up on that. I want a facility that meets all of our needs and then some. But not just in that area, but in all areas. I feel like God's saying, Craig, if you continue to be faithful, what I've given you, the resources, the power, the authority, when you walk out faith, when you're willing to risk it, listen, that's the stuff that I love, and that's the stuff that I honor, and that's the stuff that I reward, and that's the stuff that I want to invest in. So here's the thing. The owner just said, listen, I'm going to give you much. And why? Because he knew that it was a good investment. It's a good investment. Community church is a good investment. There's a call on this church. There's a call on your life. There's a call on mine. And God is just saying to us, listen, be faithful in the little that I've given you. And when you've used it the way I wanted you to use it, when you step out in faith because you, you just say, God, I'm going to risk it all. And I don't care what's happening, man. I'm just going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust you. And whether that be dreams, whether that be prayer, whether that be stepping into areas of ministry to invest in generations and invest in people, prayer, serving coffee, whatever it might be, helping outside to put down a few patio stones or sit there like I sat there because I had no sweet clue what I'm doing and I'm bugging Jeff to help me do it. But I'm there. Because I just want to see community church. I want, the, I want the vision, the passion, the call of God for this church to happen. And God's just saying, listen, all you got to do is be faithful in the little things. And when you're faithful with the little things, I invest even more because it's worthy of investment. Because I know you're going to take it and you're going to run with it. And what would seem small back in those days will see, or sorry, what seems big in those days will seem small 10 years from now. And you'll look back and go, man, I'm so glad we made the investment. And God goes, yeah, me too. You and I step out in faith. God shows up. And that's the church. But what about you? What are you facing today that you need God to just step in? What are you trying? What, not trying. What are you feeling like you're cowering from? And God's saying, don't you dare cower. You're a child of God. Going back to that, by the way, you need to understand something. Going back to the whole belt of truth, here's the truth. You are a child of God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that. And because they understood that, and that was the foundation of who they were, they had no problem saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, bro, we don't answer to you. Because I'm a child of God. You're an heir to the throne. Come on. 
you're an heir to every resource that belongs in heaven and is being displayed here on earth. You're a child of God. Doesn't mean you walk around stuck up, but you walk around confident. Big, big difference, right? Would you all stand with me right now? What are you facing right now? Go ahead. Just all over this place. If you're facing something right now, would you lift a hand towards heaven? Go ahead. Thanks for listening in to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on all social media to stay updated with everything Community Church. Also check us out at www.communitychurch.ca.